Our meditation this morning comes from 1 Peter, chapter 1. The very words that we declared as an expression of our faith, but so that it is fresh in our minds, let us hear it once more. Beginning our reading in verse 3, hear this word from our God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls, the word of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this day with thanksgiving. We come in celebration for your gift to us of salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus. I pray now that you would be at work within us, opening our minds and our hearts, granting us understanding and hope. Pray that you would use my words to highlight the word that Peter has given that we would hear his words that were inspired by you, that you might be at work within us. Lord, bless us, we pray, through him who was risen, Christ our King. Amen. With the passage of time comes perspective. And with the right perspective, we are offered hope. And hope is something that we all need. As human beings, we we hunger for hope. Our our lives are fueled by hope. And when hope runs out, we stop functioning. Many of you are probably familiar with the name of Viktor Frankl. Frankl's work, The um, Man's Search for Meaning, was uh, pretty much the, the standard read for first-year psychology classes in college throughout the country, or at least once upon a time. But for those of you who are less familiar with him, Viktor Frankl was a a, a prominent um, Austrian uh, psychiatrist in the 1930s and in the early 1940s. Viktor Frankl was also Jewish. And like many, too many, millions of other Jews who lived in Austria and in Germany and uh, that part uh, of the world, when the Nazis took control, uh, they sent them to their concentration camps, to their death camps. And Frankel, along with his family and many others, were sent to the death camp at Auschwitz. Now, both by temperament and probably by his training, while he was a prisoner at Auschwitz, Franco began to look around at the other prisoners, 
seeing how they were living day to day, see how they were responding to the cruelty, to the hideousness, to the ugliness, to the death that was uh, even in the air that was uh, around them. And he made a number of observations about his fellow prisoners, which made him begin to wonder, why is it that some people seem to be able to handle the suffering, just kind of roll along with life, and sometimes even with hints and and glimmers of, of of enjoyment, of joy, even despite their circumstances. Why is it that some people are able to kind of roll with it uh, and others are just falling apart? And the fact that they're falling apart certainly is understandable. But he noticed the difference between some people and other people. And eventually, Frankel came to a conclusion that those who lose faith in their own future are the most likely to fall apart, while those who have hope are the most likely to hold on. And then Frankel in his writings illustrates this principle by telling the story of a a man who was apparently a a prominent or a well-known composer uh, in that day, who also was a prisoner in Frankel's ward. This man had had a a dream that the war was going to end on March 30th of the coming year. He was so convinced of this dream that he believed that this dream was a revelation from God. And that spurred him forward for the opening for weeks and, and even the months to come. But as March 30th approached, news reports made it quite clear that the war was nowhere near ending. On March 29th of that year, the man began running a high fever. On March 30th, he lost consciousness. On March 31st, he was dead. And Frankel, who was a psychiatrist, who obviously was a medical doctor as well as uh, one who uh, was seeking to understand uh, the emotions and and, and the mind, he offered uh, this observation. He, He said that the loss of hope had lowered his resistance to all the diseases that were so rampant in the camp. And as years went by and Frankl survived the Nazi occupation and he looked back on that, he, he offered uh, this observation and conclusion of what he had experienced in, in some of his later writings. And he says, life only has meaning when one has a hope that even suffering and death cannot destroy. And it's so important, I want to say that again. Life only has meaning when one has a hope that even suffering and death cannot destroy. The question that every one of us needs to ask, and every one of us does ask, whether consciously or or, or, uh, subconsciously, is where, where do we get such a hope? Frankl never offered that. Perhaps he didn't know. But nevertheless, the question still lingers, not only for humanity as uh, as a whole, but for every one of us who is here today, where can we find, how can we find a hope that is so enduring that not even suffering and death can destroy it? And the answer is what we are here to celebrate today the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the Apostle Paul says in this passage here. 
he, he tells us as we, in these words, that the resurrection gives birth to hope. Now, Peter is writing to believers who lived a life that was filled with far more hardships than any of us will ever have to endure. He was writing to believers who were living in the area of Asia Minor. It was a circular letter, meaning that it was a letter that would circulate uh, different churches that were in different towns. Uh, The list of those towns and and churches you can find in verse 1 of of, uh, chapter 1. He was writing to a people who had experienced oppression at the hands of, of the Romans, rejection, loss of job, even martyrdom for being followers of Jesus Christ. And in this letter, he tells them they shouldn't be surprised at the suffering that we experience in this world. This world's broken. Sin is rampant all around us, and the reality is sin is even at work within every one of us as well. And so therefore, it should be no surprise to anybody that we experience difficulties and hardships in life. They happen to be experiencing more acute and intense persecution hardship than, than, uh, than most people. And Peter is writing this letter to them to give them hope. And in order for them to gain that hope, he points them to the resurrection in the passage that we read this morning. He's praising God. And he said, because according to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter is saying to us, the resurrection gives birth to hope. As we remember the resurrection, it leads to hope. This is understandable because one of the things we need to recognize about the resurrection that would help us to understand why we would have hope is the resurrection is a reminder to us that God is in control. He is working out everything according to his plan for our benefit as well as for his glory. You see, the crucifixion of Christ was not some cosmic battle where the enemy got in a blow that was a shock and it happened to be a death blow. And then God responded by saying, oh, let's bring him back again from the dead so that he can get back into the fight. The resurrection was planned from the very beginning, just as the death of Christ was from the very beginning, because it was through the death that he would die, the death that we should die. But it was through the resurrection that we would have hope to know that God was at work in him and through him. And so when Christ came out of the grave, we are reminded that God is at work. He is fulfilling his promises. God is more powerful than anything that we are going to experience in this life. And not even death can have victory against our God. Therefore, we have hope. Because along with the resurrection and belief that Jesus accomplished what he was supposed to accomplish are the promises that are ours, some of which we are still yet to experience. The resurrection gives birth to hope. Peter says that the resurrection hope is also a living hope, which shouldn't be a surprise because this hope is rooted in a living person, Jesus Christ. It is not a hope the way that we use hope that is rooted in circumstances and opportunities. It's rooted in a historic reality. Theologian Ed Clowney, in his commentary about uh, this passage, makes an interesting and profound statement. It's a little dizzying at first, so I'll repeat it, but here's what Clowney says. 
Peter writes of a sure hope, a hope that holds the future and the present because it is anchored in the past. Let me read that again. Peter writes of a sure hope, means it's certain to occur. A hope that holds the future and the present because it is anchored in the past. And what he means by this is that we have a living hope that is rooted in the living person of Jesus Christ, who though he was dead, he rose again. Our hope is rooted into the reality of a corpse that got up and walked out of a tomb. That's the past. It's rooted in the past. It makes promises for the future. But the promises that are still yet to come are the things that we hope for, but they are guaranteed and they are assured, which enable us to live our lives now in the present. And so when you put those things together, what Clowney says makes sense. Peter is writing of a sure hope, a hope that holds the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. Our hope is anchored in a historic, verifiable occurrence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are able to have hope. I love the way that a a German theologian named Wolfgang Pannenberg expresses it. He says, the evidence of Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. And what he's saying is the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so strong that nobody would question it. And what he means by so strong is the the testimonies. It's, It's said by many scholars, believers and unbelievers alike, to be the most testified to event in in history. Throughout this morning, we've been hearing the testimonies of the eyewitnesses. And at one time, more than 500 people saw that, which is an overwhelming number of witnesses. Think about if you were on trial for something and there were 500 people who could prove that you didn't do it. The case would be dismissed. The case would be proven. And so what Pannenberg is saying is, nobody would even question this except for two things. One is ridiculous. It's such an unusual event. I mean, people don't rise from the dead. So if you doubt it on the basis of people don't rise from the dead, it just means you're thinking. The only problem is it happened and there's evidence to that effect. But maybe the bigger issue is this. Nobody would question the resurrection. Secondly, because if you believe it, it changes your life. It will change your life. It changes the way that you have to live your life. And in that we see that the resurrection is a living hope. It is alive and it is at work within those who believe. There is no greater testimony to that reality than the first disciples. They had invested at least three years in all of their life, their hopes for the future, in this one man coming to become king as they understood a king to be. And then on Friday, he dies. And with his death went all of their dreams, all of their hopes. But after Sunday, they become witnesses of the resurrection. Their lives were changed. 
they became the messengers of a movement that has changed the world. What would explain such a transformation? The answer is the hope, the living hope, the living hope that was at work within them because of the resurrection. Peter says it's a living hope. It's a living hope that changes the way that we live when we believe the resurrection. And it's a living hope because that same hope that was at work within those disciples is at work within you and me as we believe, as we remember, as we are reminded of the resurrection. We have hope. That hope moves us into the future and yet enables us to live today in the presence. So Peter says that The resurrection gives birth to hope. This hope is a living hope. But he also tells us this hope is an imperishable hope. Resurrection hope is an imperishable hope. And he says it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And the reason is because it's not in circumstances. It is in a person who's already conquered death, who is alive and who is at work within those who belong to him, even now by his Holy Spirit. All of us long for hope. We pursue hope, whether consciously or not. Everything we do is to fortify our hope. We need to know that we have reason to get up tomorrow that enables us or motivates us to get up today. But our problem is most of the things that we place our hope in don't meet this criteria. They are not imperishable. They are perishable. They fade. Sometimes we decide, I don't like that hope anymore. I'm going to put my hope in something else. Something else catches our attention. Something else promises more. And so we we change that. Those, Those hope fade. Sometimes those hopes can be taken from us. If we haven't learned that in the past couple of years, I don't know when we will learn that. But all of the things that we tend to put our hope in, whether it's work hard, save money, make money, make an income, uh, be healthy, and you know, exercise, do what you need to do, boom, in the past two years, the economy may or may not have taken away your job. And even if you kept your job, you know that it could happen to you. And people who are healthy and strong, zapped sometimes even losing their life. We put our hope in a lot of things, but there is nothing that we tend to put our hope in that is permanent, that really will deliver what we hope that it will. But the resurrection is a living hope that is imperishable because it is rooted in the God who became man and came in the flesh. These words in this passage are an invitation for you and for me today to receive the imperishable living hope that the resurrection reminds us of, points us to, gives birth to in our lives. It may be that you never received it before, and now you hear it and you think about it and you're receiving it for the first time. But for most of us, we've heard it before, and we are in need of being renewed in that hope. But we hear and we're reminded of the resurrection, which we celebrate, and that hope is born alive and at work within us. It's God's invitation. And with God's invitation is God's promise that this hope cannot be taken from you. It cannot perish. It can't even be spoiled. Because our hope is rooted or anchored in the past. Our hope 
is alive and at work in the present, our hope is a certain promise that will come to completion in the future. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Father, grant us hope as we are reminded of your power and your promise in the resurrection of Christ Jesus, in whom we pray. Amen.